0: Hey, it's Jamin Fraser, and you're listening to The Insecurity Project. This podcast is a mixture of interviews with experts, authors, and individuals who've gone on to do great things in their life by overcoming their own insecurity. You'll also hear one-on-one coaching sessions with people who are willing to be vulnerable and share their own journey with the world. Also, you'll hear 10-Minute Tuesday, which is a chance for me to deliver high-quality personal development content to help you in your own journey hope you find the podcast useful. Now on to today's show. Well, hello, folks. You're listening to The Insecurity Project. I'm with Anna Dakey. Now, Anna has had over 10 years experience working with people. She herself has suffered compassion fatigue burnout, which is an interesting title and I'm really curious about um, exploring that with her uh, but she's kind of going to speak a bit about her own journey of working flat out and always giving to understanding you know her own self um, and she's going to share some of the stuff she's really helpful from the work of Dr Brené Brown. So welcome to the show Anna, it's a real treat to have you here, thanks for making the time.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me. It's it's exciting. I'm really keen to get in and, and have a chat about this really important topic, so thank you.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Um, yeah, and no, it is an important topic. I think it's one that often doesn't get a lot of conversation, uh, you know, just because it's a vulnerable topic, the, the topic of kind of finding who you are and, and addressing the fears about your own inadequacy head-on. Um, it's a vulnerable thing to do, so... Look, I appreciate you being willing to share your own journey and I'm sure anything that you share from from the overflow of your own journey will be useful to others. So um, as I've been starting the conversation with others, I'm I'm always fascinated by where a person starts in life. Um, mm. Not that that's the be all and end all because some people have great starts and then go on and do nothing with their life and others have terrible starts and go on and do wonderful things. Uh, but you know, all the, the research around core beliefs seem to suggest that not to seven are pretty formative years. And uh, our parents are often the key people in that world at that time. So, yeah, I I love to understand what it was a a person's parents contributed to their own sense of self and what they taught them about confidence and self-esteem and believing in yourself. So, would you care to tell us a bit about where you started and the role your parents played in the early years of your life and your personal formation journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I I grew up on a a small farm in the country South Australia, and um, it was a a family farm, so my dad took over from my grandpa. Um, And, you know, we had pigs and sheep and crops and all those sorts of things, but I think one of the really interesting things as I've developed um, as a person is reflecting back on my country upbringing to start with. Yeah. but more so um absolutely my parents. I mean, um I grew up in a very secure home. Um and I think one of the best things that my parents taught me is um that there's no topic off limits. You know, they were the yeah, sort right. of parents. Yeah, the sort of parents who were just like, if there's something that you want to talk about, you can come and talk to us. Um, You know, we would get in late at night after being at a party and the first thing they wanted us to do was come and say, hello, I'm home. And more often than not, we would debrief what happened um, in our night. And so um, amazing to grow up with parents who were like, please, you know, talk to us about stuff. We want you to be able to talk to us and not just keep things to yourself. Um, Yeah, well,
0: can I just just ask you a bit more about that? Because I reckon... You know, a lot of parents mm. would say that to their kids. You know, we want to be involved. Tell yeah. us what's going on in <laughs> your world. But um, at some point, parents become uncool or become, you know, the people you, you don't necessarily want to talk to about those kind of things. Yeah. So how did your parents uh, do that well? Like, how did they present a space that was safe and compelling for you to actually be honest and real about what was going on for you?
1: Mm. I think one of the key things was, when hard times happened, they would come to us and start the conversation. So yeah, right. um, hmm. for example, you know, like when my um a couple of my grandparents died when I was quite young and, you know, I remember being probably, I don't know, between seven and ten and sitting on the edge of the bed with mum and dad and my brothers and them telling us um that my my nana had died and this is what had happened. You know, did you want to talk about anything? How are you feeling? It's okay to cry? So I think the fact that they kind of came to us at a young age, especially um, as opposed to just saying, come and talk to us, but then not yeah, sure. them moving towards us. Yeah, I think that yeah, was okay. a good thing. And it's still the same, you know, as we've, I think, a lot of people actually say to us, you have such a good relationship with your parents. And we're just like, that's how we've just always been. But I think absolutely, you know, my parents worked hard, their own stuff as well, which I think is really important um, for them to understand themselves as well so they could, in a sense, I guess, demonstrate that to us. Um, you know, my parents weren't perfect by all means, but in this particular area, very helpful, I think.
0: Yeah, Wonderful. What a gift. Um,
1: mm, very grateful yeah.
0: for. And something that's probably pretty rare. So, yeah, that's that's lovely to hear. Yeah. So how did... Uh, that impact on you as you grew up and your sense of self—you know, finding out who you were and developing self-confidence and self-esteem, those kind of things.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. You know, when I think back on on my upbringing, that was a really positive experience that I had and has been now. You know, as adults, as as an adult as well, um, but I think. One of the key things for me has been reflecting on that time, acknowledging that no one is perfect and so, um, you know, being able to talk about anything has helped me yeah. to feel a little bit more confident about myself. However, there's also other things that, you know, we learn by learned behavior um, when we're around imperfect people that teach us other things and so for me I'm a massive people pleaser or was I say that I'm a people yeah, pleaser right. in recovery um and so I think that simply being aware of that um and knowing where it came from was really really important and so as I've been able to kind of reflect on that it's helped me to i guess acknowledge what is self esteem and what is a fear or or something like that so um, sure. yeah I think the openness has helped Um, in my confidence, but as I said, you know, there's been lots of things that where I haven't been confident, and I've had to really work at that in my life as well, so... um, Yeah, yeah. sure. How
0: do you define being a people pleaser? That might be a term that's not necessarily familiar to everyone. What do you mean by that exactly?
1: Yeah, awesome, yeah. Um, Good question. So a people pleaser, how I define it, is someone who does everything for everyone else because they think that they'll be liked more if they do what other people want. So Yeah, sure. If I okay. Yeah, so, if I, so my belief as a people pleaser is that if I do certain things that someone wants, then they'll like me more.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. No, great. That makes sense. And all in an yeah. attempt to feel good about yourself.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So was that part of your... Uh, what you described as compassion fatigue do you think that was part of that whole period in your
1: life 100%
0: yeah okay tell it, tell us more about that
1: uh, yeah sure um yeah so uh i worked um in christian ministry for 7 years when i first left school so um i did one year in adelaide and a year um in melbourne and then 5 years on the gold coast um and it was during the, that time um, where, go, I mean, so both of my parents um, have traits of people-pleasing as well, so it's definitely part of it for me has been learned behaviour. Um, yeah. But also from that going into a, a caring role, so where my job was to care for people and look after people and you know make them feel good about themselves and help them when they were going through bad times, all of those sorts of things meant that um i ended up giving 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 um and i had the belief that if i didn't like if i said no to helping someone then i thought that they wouldn't like me or that i wouldn't keep my job or that they thought i was a bad pastor or whatever it was yeah. so that that belief of being a people pleaser is was a massive element to me getting compassion fatigue because i didn't know how to set boundaries um and yeah, how to sure. say no Therefore, I just kept saying yes and ended up getting burnt out. So it was really active part of it, absolutely,
0: yeah. So when you say burnt out, how badly did that take you out of the game?
1: Mm-hmm. So um, so interestingly, I didn't know that I was burnt out, which is um, a very normal thing for a lot of people. Um, sure. And so I was in Queensland still and just kept having this sense and this feeling to want to be moving back to South Australia where all of my family um, were and still are. Um, and and there was something just kind of, I guess, pulling me back. And so I ended up resigning from my job and I moved back to Adelaide and continued my counselling degree. During that year, I started having my own personal counselling. Um, and it was in that year that actually my counsellor helped me to name that I was burnt out. And so... I was like, what does that even mean? And you know, I'd never heard of burnout before, so that was a big thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> um and so part of that though, yeah, was definitely I uh, like I had um so coming from working in a job where I was around people all the time, I had to do upfront stuff, like people definitely thought that I was an extrovert. Um I discovered quickly that actually I'm an introvert, which also I think into the getting burnt out thing. Um, and so I ended up withdrawing from social activities. I um, had, like, anxiety increased. I, you know, started not... Um, being, like, my confidence dropped, dra- you know, drastically. And so, yeah, it totally it took me out of the game completely, I would say. Um, and my recovery has taken... I, I would say my recovery in total... Took about five years. So it was a big, yeah, it was a big crash for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for sharing that, obviously. It was a very painful experience, um, but to have come out the other side and have grown through it, obviously, it's been a very valuable experience, too, no doubt.
1: 100%. Yeah. And it's interesting, Mm. you know, I often think about that and I'm like, I just would never, you know, I, I never want anyone to go through burnout and I actually think that it's prevent- preventable but, you know, yeah. you taught me so much about myself and who I am and I'm a completely different person to who I was before burnout. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I think there's a lot of gems that come from the hard times um, when we look closely enough to find them. So.
0: Yeah, sure so one of the things that I bang on about all the time is that, you know, behavior management is a core strategy for change. So just, just you know, saying I'm going to stop doing that, you know, I'm just going to be better and, and just be more disciplined and I'm just going to learn to say no, you know, probably really isn't a, a strategy for change because behavior flows out of what we believe. So, you know, you had these hmm. deep underlying belief that was producing a behavior that manifested in you try to please other people to gain a sense of self and to get be liked and feel good about yourself so what what was it um let me ask a better question uh yeah how how did you recover how did you change that belief about yourself so that you could not be a people pleaser anymore and i suppose set some healthy boundaries and find yourself can you tell us about that
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, one of the biggest things that I did was, um, seek counseling. It's, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of stigma about having counseling and, you know, you only have counseling when you're at rock bottom and then it's, it's kind of, you know, in a sense, okay, that, um, that you're seeing a counselor because, you know, you or you're in a crisis situation. Um, for me, I mean, it's a bit different in the sense that I was studying to be a counselor. So, Um, there was part of me that just was I remember sitting in a lecture one day and and it just came to me I was like I need counseling and I need that type of counseling because we were looking at a particular type of therapy and um, and so I watched my lecture and I said I know you can't counsel me but do you know someone who can and you know eventually I ended up with with an awesome counselor who had been through burnout herself she had also worked in Christian ministry Um, she, yeah, was just perfect for me in the sense of really understanding where I came from, where I was coming from. So the first thing massively was seeking counselling. But the other part, um, was, or is the fact that the way that I got through it was through a lot of hard work and a continued journey. So I say in my work with clients that I believe, um, counselling is lifelong and what I mean by that is that you know you might have a couple sessions here and then you know in two years time need six sessions and then two weeks later need another session and the fact is that we need to continually be working on ourselves to be the best person that we can be. Um, And so yeah so counselling was a massive part for me and with that came the counsellor that I um, saw. She did a lot of work around self-care and so Again, I was like, self-care, what's that? Never kind of heard of it before, which is part of why I got to burnout. Um, And so I began to learn strategies of things that, um, I guess, yeah, behaviours that weren't working for me and relearning, I guess, changing my brain pathways really about how I saw myself and then being able to act on them. So a big thing was, you know, learning to say no and set boundaries and learning about what, setting boundaries actually meant um and and more so to that as well is this concept of self-care um around not just you know exercise and eat well but learning to value who you are I'm really big on on that and and understanding who I am and um the, the truth about who I am not the lie about who I am so the fact that I didn't think I was confident well there was a, a lot of proof in my work and my life to say, actually, you are confident. You know, that's just a, a, a negative automatic thought or, a, you know, that's a um it's a brain pathway that you've created over time and continued to tell yourself that. So it was about counteracting that with well, the truth is actually you are confident and particularly confident in these particular areas. Um, so the keys were hard work, um, continued work still now, Counseling, um, looking after myself from a self-care perspective. So, um, yeah, those sorts of things are really uh, helpful for me.
0: Okay, so um, I, I need to probe a little bit more into that so that we yep. can find um, because hard work to me is not enough. I I watch people mm. do hard work all the time, just doing what they've always done, and it's hard work. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think yeah, the old adage work work smarter, not harder. So um, what was it that you were working hard doing specifically? Mm-hmm. Like what activities, yeah. what thoughts, what practices were you concentrating on, giving yourself to, practicing, committing to that that shifted you from where you were to where you are now?
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome, yeah. So um, when I talk about self-care um, and valuing who I am, a key practice was, um, and Brené Brown talks about this actually, in the sense that we need to work out what it is that makes us feel cared for, and because um, what what happens in our life is we think that we have to wait for other people to look after us or for other people yeah, to sure. do nice things for us, especially as women. Like as women, we okay. we yep. want we want people to, you know, give us flowers and tell us that we look good or you know those sorts of things, but. And and in that we feel loved and cared for, but the fact is that like one thing my counselor drummed into me was Anna, no one else is going to do that for you at least not when you need it and how you need it exactly, right? Yeah, and okay. So you need to learn to do that for yourself. So so that was I guess the, the theory behind the practice, which was okay. Well, you know, what do I want to do for myself? So I would go to the movies by myself, um, because I'd never done that before, and I was like, oh, that sounds like a good thing to do, um, or to try, (laughs) Um, and it was a good way to, I guess, escape for, you know, a couple hours, but, you know, knowing that it wasn't escaping for life, because it was just for a couple hours, Um, so really working on, what is it that I really wanted to do with my day, and... That sounds very, very basic in a sense. but so I had lived seven years of my life making choices based on what I thought other people wanted me to do. A really important practice was me asking myself, what is it that you really want to do today? Now, I had the space and time to do that because I was at uni and so I wasn't working or anything during my recovery. Um, so there were days when I would wake up and it was like, I've done my uni stuff or whatever. What do I want to do with my day? And I could quite easily have chosen to just stay in bed, get caught up in the ongoing, you know, what's the point of living life kind of, you know, I don't want to be around people. Instead, it was being really conscious of making good and courageous choices. So I was like, well, actually what I need today is to go for a walk and I'm going to try going to this place today because it's somewhere a bit different. So I discovered in my self-care and burnout recovery journey that actually being near water was really important for me. So really yeah, cool. working. So one element just on the self-care stuff was around really trying to work on what is it that actually makes me feel cared for.
0: Um, and I love that. I love that question because you you are really committed and good yeah. at caring for others. Um, mm-hmm. but then deep down always feeling I wish someone would care for me the way that I care for others but no one really was and mm-hmm. you know you mentioned that as as a woman and um, you know it's easy just to focus on others I, I observed that often women put themselves last especially mothers
1: yeah.
0: you know they're very good at caring very good at sacrifice very good at serving others and they often go last so what I'm hearing for you is this, this practice of going okay well I, I do need care, but I'm going to take responsibility for being the carer for myself by yep. checking in what it is. What is it that I need, and then giving myself permission to go do those things without anybody else doing them for me.
1: Exactly, which is yep, a, a right. massive and thing. Yes, yeah, and it's a hard did, thing to
0: do. <laughs> yeah, did you feel guilty at at first? Did you oh, feel selfish? Yes. Did it? Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and I say to people that I work with, and I still have to say this to myself as well: is um, you're going to feel guilty. That's part of the healing process because yeah, okay. your belief has is so strong that putting yourself first is not the right thing to do. That's the belief you've you've been taught mm. and that you believe. And so, in order to put yourself first, is totally countercultural, and so and it's counter to your belief system. And so not going to be easy. Um, and, you know, like Lucille Limmerman, she's um, a counsellor from, I think it's the United States or Canada, one of them, don't so want to get that wrong. But um, And she talks about um, the importance of putting yourself on the list. So again, we have loads of lists of things that we have to do, that we should do, and very rarely putting ourselves on that list to kind of go, actually, you know what I need today? I need to sit down and read a book for half an hour because that's my way of feeling like I'm cared for today or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so, right, yeah. okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. So through those practices and really allowing yourself to do those things, it it rewires your brain around this sense of confidence, this sense of self-respect and self-valuing and builds a healthy sense of self. Is that, that's been your experience.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and and the important thing to remember, I think, is that it um, it takes time to reshape your thinking around that stuff. Um, and it's important that once you are at the point of it making, starting to make sense and it becoming, I guess, second nature, is that you keep feeding that then. So that over time it gets stronger and stronger and stronger, um, and
0: revert back to that. yeah, sure, yeah, great. So I mean, you, you obviously still practice those things today. Like that's mm-hmm. still part of your journey, ongoing, putting yourself on the list, asking how how do I need to be cared for? Those kind of things. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Nice. Are there any other practices or rituals that you have found useful? You know, in your current day living, that help reinforce this healthy sense of self and help you maintain empowering beliefs about yourself.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. So the other thing um, is just this whole idea of um, slowing down. I oh, again, so many people I speak to. Um, we, you know, we are the busiest that we've ever been in our society, and there's always something going on. Our calendars are chock a block full, and you know, so often we have to book. You know, catch up with friends or whatever a month ahead. Um, one of the things for me is um, two things. One is um, daily journaling, so making sure that I have space in my day at some point. Usually, it's in the morning, but if I've got a busy morning, I might do it later in the day or at night. So just making sure that I actually that I write. Um, so for me, I'm a writer. Um, Renee Brown also talks about the importance of using creativity in our life. And so sometimes that can simply mean writing. It doesn't have to be, you know, all arty kind of stuff with paints and um pencils and all that sort of thing. It can be as simple as writing out what's going on for me. Um And the other part is I really try as hard as possible to make sure I have space in my life. Um So that I, you know, if a friend calls up and says, you know, things are really, really crap, I need, like, can I just see you sometime this week? that I can go actually, yes, I do have space in my week to be able to make time for that. Um, and and that time, like I, you know, I've just had a really busy um February, and and my antennas are going up, going, I know what's going on, we need to rein that in and you know, make some hard decisions as to how you can make space in your diary. So, those two things help me to slow down as well. So, the journaling helps me to slow down my mind, and then making yeah. space in my calendar helps me to slow down literally my life
0: um, and where I am and what I'm doing. So. Yeah, great. And obviously making space in New calendar involves saying no to some stuff. Correct. Yeah. Going from Absolutely. a place of saying yes to everything and everyone. Obviously, the only way you're going to make space is to like, say, uh, actually, no, I, I can't do that or no, I'm not going to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's probably been an important word you've learnt.
1: Uh-huh. yeah, and it's been so hard. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah, wow. That's mm-hmm. good. Um, oh, sorry, <laughs> was there anything else you were going to say on that? I just cut no, you off.
1: That's okay. No, it's all good. No, that was all. <laughs>
0: um, so, you've mentioned Brene Brown. Are there any of her books that you recommend to people above others?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, all of her books are great, but um, a good place to start is The Gift of Imperfection. So,
0: the Gift of Imperfection, okay.
1: Yep. So it's the second book that she um, has written, and um, she talks about, she goes through t- um, 10 guideposts for wholehearted living. And so she kind of pulls apart a, a whole range of um, different elements that she's researched around shame and vulnerability, authenticity, courage, worthiness, um, empathy, and kind of the 10 guideposts um, she talks about. Um, cultivating something and letting go of something else. Um, So, for example, cultivating authenticity and letting go of um, what we're supposed to do. So the 10-5 posts, um, kind of, that's how the book's set out. And it's really, really um, easy to read, um, easy to understand. It will change your life, so be prepared if you're going to read it. Um, And you'll probably go, oh, my gosh, it's too heavy. I need to put it down. But it's... It's because it's um, resonating, I think, with our hearts more so than it actually being heavy because it's very easy to read um, and very well set out. So, yeah, The Gifts of Imperfection is a great place to start um, with Brene's books.
0: Excellent. I'll make sure that's in the the notes of today's episode so people can find that. Are there any other Mm -hmm. authors or any other books that you think are particularly useful for people uh, to, uh, you know, do this this work in their life? Mm
1: -hmm. The other one um, that's been really helpful for me um, is by Lucille Zimmerman and she has written a book called The Need. That was really helpful for me too around self-care. Another one that's really good um, is kind of... It was really helpful for me but it's kind of a um, bit of a tangent on the topic but is by Stuart Brown and he's written a book called Play. And it's really great to understand some of the research around how as adults we don't play and have fun as much as what we need to in order to actually survive and be the best person that we can be. So um, okay. that, that was a, a really awesome book as well. So, um, yeah, some of those, those um, are good places to start as well.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Uh, I think, you know, books are such a fantastic Resource in the personal development journey, and uh, I appreciate you sharing some of your favourites. I'm sure people will find them useful. Mm. Um, yeah, okay. So, is there anything else? Like, obviously, now you're a counsellor, you work with people, and this is something you're passionate about and have really lived out in your own life. Is there anything else at all on the subject that you'd like to share with the listeners as we as we wrap up the interview?
1: Mm. Um, Probably the only other thing um, is, I think sometimes, and it's become really evident, I think, in this uh, interview as well, is that sometimes things can be really broad and they can, um, you know, for me personally, I've gone on the journey, so it makes sense to me, but sometimes it doesn't make sense to other people. So one of the things um, that has been really helpful for me around self-care is almost dividing up our life into physical emotional and social, intellectual and spiritual. And then looking at each of those areas individually and asking myself, how am I looking after myself in that area? Or how could I look after myself better in that area? So by doing that, it helps to kind of, it makes it a little bit more simple and we can break it down a little bit more intentionally about what's actually going on in our life and what's missing. Um, Because when we look at it in a broader sense, Often we miss some really key areas. So, that would be one yeah. thing I would encourage listeners to do is, you know, draw a circle on a page, split it into four, put those four areas in there and ask yourself, how can I look after myself better in this particular area? Um,
0: what were the I've four areas beautiful. again you suggested?
1: Yeah, so our physical self, um, yep. our emotional and social health. So, they kind of go okay. together. So, emotional being, um, relationship with yourself and social being relationship with others, yep. um, our spiritual self and our intellectual self or our, our, our mind, our brain health. Okay. Mm.
0: That's very, very useful. As has this conversation been, you've given us all a real gift by sharing out of the overflow of your own journey and being willing to be honest about the stuff that's worked for you. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that can relate to this. So, um yeah, I've found it very, very useful I'm sure others will too. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, where can people find you if they were if they wanted to look you up? Where do you hang out? Where's the easiest place for people to connect with you?
1: Yeah, so um the well, first place would be my website, so www.journeys.com.au. dot journeys dot com dot a u. Um and then I'm also on Facebook um at facebook dot com forward slash journeys and I'm also on Instagram but journeys AU. Not just straight Journeys. Okay. So Journeys AU um, on Instagram. And um, yeah, you'll see a range of um, self care tips and, and ideas of um, things of what I'm up to and, and some encouraging things around looking after yourself and valuing who you are.
0: Hmm. Excellent. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes for today as well. Uh, Okay, well, yes, thanks so much again. And it's been a real treat. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Thanks very much.
1: No worries. That's fine. Have a good day.
0: You've been listening to the Insecurity Project. If you're interested in finding out more about dealing with your own insecurity, check out the 30 day online Overcoming Insecurity Bootcamp. It combines high quality frameworks with one on one coaching to help you eradicate the fear of not being good enough and give yourself permission to really flourish in life. For more information, check out jaminfraser.com.